This is Bill Crystal, editor of the Weekly Standard. I can't believe I agreed to the following podcast, and I apologize ahead of time for what you're about to hear. But my colleagues prevailed upon me at a very weak moment, late in the evening, after a few drinks, to let them do this podcast, the Weekly Substandard. I said yes. They got me to sign some document. I didn't even know what it was. And now we're committed to it. And as you'll hear, they probably should be committed too. I am not a hero. I'm a drifter with nothing to lose. You killed that girl to put me in a frame. I mean to beat you to death and drink your blood from a boot. This business will get out of control. It'll get out of control and we'll be lucky to live through it. Hello and welcome to the Weekly Substandard, a podcast on movies and pop culture hosted by three guys who have spent their lives watching movies over and over and over again. This week's main feature, what we like to call the big block, we are talking about film adaptations, books that become movies for better and for worse, and specifically Jack Reacher 2, Never Go Back in Theaters Now. Uh, but first, let us uh, introduce ourselves, as Admiral Stockdale would say. Who are we and why are we here? Uh, my name is Victor Manis. I'm a senior editor at the Weekly Standard. Each week, I'll be joined by my colleague, senior writer Jonathan V. Last, and former colleague in Washington, Free Beacon executive editor, Sonny Bunch. As Sonny put it, politics is what we do to live, but talking about movies and nerd stuff is what we love. Uh, Jonathan, or uh, JVL, as he is popularly known, uh, I'd like to start with uh, you. Uh, we begin our classroom with the questionnaire Bernard Pivot of Apostrophe. What is your favorite word? Are we bleeping this? How blue can we work? <laughs> we'll move on to the next My point. My favorite is... word is... <laughs> okay, I'll be careful. You can actually just use the bleep and they'll think you said something. Uh, no, seriously, I started here in 1996, and I think you came here in 1997. Is that right? I started here at the magazine January of 97. I started the Monday after Bill Clinton's second inauguration. And uh, you and I have been basically having lunch together since then. So we're coming up on, I mean, no joke, we're coming up on 20 years working together in the same yes. office, which is the saddest. At the moment, we're a combined 39 years at this pathetic office. Pathetic thing I've ever heard. It's, it's horrifying. And people, I mean, you and I have been together for so long. We used to go places together, like the things that you would get, like, so when you, people don't maybe understand this, when you work in a magazine, you get all sorts of invitations to like book parties and, you know, movie previews and stuff like that. And the grown ups never want to go because they have lives to go to. And so they filter down to the junior staff. Mm-hmm. And so Vic and I would uh, go to, like, you know, the, I remember we showed up at a party, I think, that Ariana Huffington had given. And yes. we showed up together, and it was clear that Ariana thought that we were each other's dates. Well, remember and we were accidentally <laughs> holding each other's hands? Yeah, no, happen? by accident. It was the buddy system. <laughs> it was the buddy system. And uh, and so now we're, we're old people, and we are like have children. and We don't have as many sleepovers we anymore. We don't have as many sleepovers anymore, but we... We do go to the sauna regularly and try to watch movies together. And so that's why we're here to talk. And, and then a few years later, if you remember uh, JVL, a, a young, very shy, uh, very quiet intern from the University of Virginia uh, came to the Weekly Standard, and uh, his name was Sonny Bunch. And I didn't believe that was his name, by the way. I totally agree. I Actually, I thought that it was a nickname. And I, was, and I remember saying to you, so what's the kid's real name? <laughs> and you were like, no, it's Sonny. Well, I mean... 
whatever. It's close enough. Sonny's Sonny's my name ish. Uh, yeah, it was very. I now I understand why I feel so uncomfortable when I'm with the two of you and it's just me and I'm the third wheel. That that little uh, sauna sauna uh, monologue. Uh, yeah, that's right. I was an intern here in 2002, right after 9/11, right before the Iraq War. It was a real interesting time. Um, and uh, then I I went back to school, and graduated, and got a job at Roll Call newspaper before getting back into the crazy right-wing media, um, coming back to the Weekly Standard for a bit, film critic at the Washington Times, Washington Free Beacon, where I am the executive editor, and movie reviewer, really. I don't feel like a film critic. I'm more of a movie reviewer. You don't want to call it film. You think it's pretentious, because I know. I think I, that's what, you know, John Podhoritz, he doesn't want to call it uh, film either. He prefers it's movies. Film, I mean, look, the there, there are film critics and there are movie reviewers, and I feel usually that I'm more towards the movie reviewer side of things. Mm-hmm. Speaking of which, mm-hmm. this week, uh, in, new in theaters was Jack Reacher, Never Go Back, which just is a terrible subtitle for a film. It really lends to all sorts of terrible puns about you know, never go back to see a Jack Reacher movie. Am I right? Now, Am I right? Sonny, refresh uh, my memory about uh, Jack sure. Reacher because it's like, it's the book, and then there was the first Jack Reacher, now we're at the sequel. So the first Jack Reacher was a, was a it was just called Jack Reacher, and I, I really actually enjoyed this movie a lot. Uh, the first one, 2012, uh, starring Tom Cruise as the eponymous Jack Reacher, who is a former milit- military policeman, he's an MP, who uh, got out of the service because he didn't like the rules, he needs to work outside of the confines of, you know, the man. Um, and he uh, he he was uh, trying to clear a guy from his platoon who he didn't like, who had committed another crime and gotten away with it. But he was trying to clear this guy of a uh, basically a spree shooting, uh, you know, a Columbine kind of style uh, mass murder. Um, and uh, it's a it's a very cleverly done film. It was directed uh, and written by Christopher McQuarrie, who won an Oscar for The Usual Suspects and uh, also directed Way of the Gun and the most recent Mission Impossible film. Um, and it was it was just it was very funny in kind of clever unexpected ways. It was not boring. It was put together in a in an interesting manner. It had a great villain uh, played by the the great Werner Herzog. He is a Teutonic, awful you know scary voice. It just sounds sounds terrifying to be around. But an amazing director. Uh, amazing director. Amazing director. So anyway, the first one was surprisingly good. Uh, it, I think people were pleasantly surprised. It was kind of a a, a new franchise type movie for. Uh, Tom Cruise, who doesn't do a lot of franchise movies, Mission Impossible, and that's it. Um, and what did you think about the second? Then? Not great, not great, Bob. It was a, uh, it was, it was, uh, it is just generic in every way. It's boring, and uh, it's so Jack Reacher is back, and he is trying to track down uh, the the people who are killing the employees of the woman who now runs his MP unit, um, and uh, she is played by Kobe Smulders. And she is a delightfully attractive uh, young lady uh, who is uh, uh, really upset that, you know, Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise's Jack Reacher does things like make her babysit Tom Cruise's maybe daughter who is in this movie. And a lot of so in the first Jack Reacher, you get a lot of humor out of like kind of natural silly fights and stuff. In this movie, you you get a lot of like teen tween girl humor. Like, so there's a sidekick element. Oh, there's a there's a kid sidekick. You remember uh, Short Round? Of course, I love the Temple. This movie. is like the f- I wanted to be Short. This is round. like the 16 year old blonde female yeah. Short Round. It's just awful. Is 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 never go back. Uh, also, a book by Lee Child, or is it just their own creation? Yes, never never go back is okay. one of the the books in the. 
Jack Reacher. Uh, but Jonathan, you were a big fan of the first movie. I, I actually think Sunny is uh, Sunny is underselling the first movie. I think it's a truly great movie. Actually, it's sort of a fabulous, hard-boiled noir. Uh, the first thing that should people should not have been surprised because it was written by Chris McQuarrie, and that guy's fantastic. Everything he touches is great. Valkyrie is great. This is great. Rogue Nation is probably the best of the Mission Impossible movies. Uh, my favorite genre is actually adult action movies. Which there are very, very few of. Um, so you get Sorry, mine is adult uh, action movies. Mine is the action. <laughs> adult. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> or what about the action adult movies? <laughs> action Jenna, adult Jenna movies. Jenna Jameson's. It was uh, a different mission. In, no, stop. So stop. anyway, as Full you were stop. saying, John, uh, sorry. No, so it's, I, I think the first Jack Reacher, everything in about it is great. The score is great. It's by Joe Kramer, who also did the amazing score for Way of the Gun. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys remember Damn. that. The maze yep. of the castanets and the... Actually, I think Way of the Gun is probably one of my top ten favorite film scores of all time. Mm. Um, I put it up there with like the Dark Knight Rises score. It's just mm. amazing. Um, and so everything about it is is great. And they captured the, the essence of the Jack Reacher character, which is that he is this guy who is supremely confident in every room he walks into. He's never concerned. He's never worried about the situation he's getting into. And in the books, one of the things I love is it, they're actually really funny. Uh, because Reacher is so smart that he's constantly amusing himself. And so he makes little little jokes that nobody else understands. And this happens all throughout the first Jack Reacher movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, you get that scene where he's with Rosamund Pike, who's playing the defense attorney, whose father's the district attorney. And he says, look, you're just doing this because your daddy didn't. And she says, no, not my daddy. It's the district attorney's office. And he goes, you're just doing this because the district attorney's office didn't buy you a pony. <laughs> um, and so he does little stuff like that. It's it's great. Um but what was interesting about it as an adaptation is they just started mid-series. Like, mm-hmm. they didn't use right. the first Reacher book. Uh, and that's because the Reacher books are a little bit like Law & Order episodes. You can watch them totally out of sequence. There is no seriality to them. Uh, I would say Lee Child is not even especially concerned with continuity. He does a little bit of continuity work, but otherwise they're very standalone. They're almost like Sherlock Holmes uh, stories. And uh, they are... At least the first one, I, you were the only person in the room who has seen uh, Never Go Back. But the first one is takes a very sort of uh, loose, very loose approach to the adaptation, which I think is always crucial to good adaptations. Adaptations which are too slavish often wind up being boring or compromised. Uh, and good ones almost always have the writers who are really happy to go in and take what works for the mm-hmm. screen and then discard everything yeah. else. Well, that's what I was going to ask uh, both of you guys about. Uh, uh, film adaptations because it's kind of hit or miss. I mean, we've seen some really good ones and we've seen some really bad ones. And what are the ones that first sort of come to your mind when you think of a great film adaptation for a movie, a book that has become a movie, how it was well done, which doesn't necessarily mean uh, that it has to be exactly everything from the book, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think the first Lord of the Rings film was actually a very good adaptation. It dropped a lot of stuff that wasn't necessary. Uh, it actually concluded on a, a on a slightly different note than the than the original book, and it had like an actual arc, which is hard to do with the first part of a trilogy. Like you, it had an actual you know kind of rising action denouement. Like it it it, it had the structure of an actual film. Um, you know, uh, it's it it can be hard to do. I, you know, Hitchcock 
in the in his interviews with Francois Truffaut said, you know, like a, a a novelist should not adapt his own work for the film for this for the screen because he has generally speaking no idea what can be lost and what can't be because he's spent so much time living with this 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 work and I think that is like I think JBL's right that you need you need a dramatist you need somebody who can actually get in there and be like okay this works visually this doesn't work visually this is good this is bad uh, you know, Vic. I know that you are a big fan of uh, Goodfellas. Yeah, absolutely. And what you've seen Goodfellas what, like thirty times, thirty thousand times, forty, say about 50, thirty. 60? There was a time okay. where I mean, every other thing that came coming out of my mouth was a Goodfellas right. line. Still, uh, still that, that was know. at lunch. We that time, tonight. that time was two hours ago. Yeah, exactly. uh, but you know, the, like that—that's a very interesting adaptation because it uses a lot of voiceover. It's kind of unusual, but it's very similar to the book. It does, and Pileggi was very good about that. And you couldn't include everything. I mean, there. A lot of details in in Wise Guy, which was Nick Pledge's book, uh, about, for example, the Lufthansa heist, and I love that, and I couldn't get enough of it. But I'm one of these people who, I mean, at the time, you know, you're watching enough Goodfellas uh, that you know I'd be more than happy to uh, um, I'd be more than happy to watch uh, a six hour version of Goodfellas. Uh, versus the uh, two or three hour version, I just like to have them, you know, hanging around and uh, and uh, eating managot all day. I'd love that, you know. But uh, I mean, obviously, there's only so much you could do. But what they kept for the movie, I thought was pretty accurate, and including um, the other interesting things though is they changed some of the names. I'm not sure why they did that. Maybe they were afraid of getting sued because obviously, in the book, wise guy, um, I mean, it's it's there's a you know there, he's not going to take creative license about you know Jimmy Burke. Uh, and and what happened to him, or or, mm-hmm. or Tommy D. Simone, and in the movie, uh, Jimmy Burke becomes Jimmy Conway, and Tommy D. Simone becomes Tommy DeVito, and I imagine that's because that gives uh, Scorsese uh, and Pledge a little bit more leeway into uh, what they can, you know, allow. For example, um, in in uh, it's understood. This is really interesting, actually, and you should really read the book. Is uh, the death of Tommy, which is very vivid in Goodfellas, mm-hmm. as you remember, it's a setup. He's going to be a made man, and uh, and then he gets uh, shot by his own people because he had uh, to. Uh, uh, it was uh, revenge for Billy Bats. Billy Bats. That's right. Played by uh, you know well, the Phil, great Frank Vincent. That's right. Phil yeah. Leotardo from The Sopranos. And what you learn in the movies is. Tommy just disappeared. Mm. He, he was just gone from the book. In the book, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and what uh, the what they surmised was that he was killed, but he was killed by the John Gotti crew, mm. uh, which is also very interesting in the greater scheme of things. Uh, but uh, because of course Gotti was part of the Gambino family, and that part is true in the movie as well with uh, with uh, um, with Frank Vincent's character. Uh, but of course, it's hard. It's hard, it's less dramatic that way, and that's I'm fine with it. And obviously, everybody else seemed to be fine with it, but. Yeah, you Jonathan. know, it's, it's funny. I I totally agree. You almost all the time you should not have the novelist adapting their stuff. But there's any the exception that proves the rule, which is to me is one of the most spectacular adaptations ever, uh, which is Layer Cake, which is a small mm-hmm. movie, the movie that made Daniel Craig a star and made Matthew Vaughn a top list director. Uh, which, if you haven't seen it, like do me and yourself in America a favor. Run out and watch Layer Cake tonight. It's fantastic, and that was based on a really great small novel by a writer named J.J. Connolly. And he wrote the screenplay, too. And they're very different. It's so different, in fact, that as I read the novel and then watched the book, I thought to myself that he must have had a screen adaptation in mind for it while writing the novel. I think he was actually already yeah. thinking about what it would look like on screen. Uh, not to uh, give anything away, maybe I should just say spoiler alert here, but my question to you, Jonathan, is in the book, is it any more explicit about the person who dies at the end of the movie? And is there any chance that that person lives? 
Uh, and so in the in the book, this is actually fascinating. He totally lives. Oh, thank uh, God. and what happens is he is shot in the head. And so he becomes sort of like he just isn't right in the head anymore, and he winds up as a sort of layabout bartender in the Caribbean. Hmm. So he moved to an island in the Caribbean. He's not rich or anything. Like, nothing works. He's one of these guys who just, you know, has a traumatic brain injury and isn't... And then he comes back to work for the British Secret Service. And then he comes back for Her Majesty's Secret Service. But you also, I I, I assume, Jonathan, you agree with Sonny about Lord of the Rings, the trilogy, the books, J.R.R. Tolkien, and the whole thing. The first, yeah, I, I totally agree about Fellowship of the Ring, which I think... Pound for Pound is probably the greatest, the greatest film adaptation from a major literary work ever. I mean, just as a, a matter of juggling pages and everything. No, no, Jonathan, I, I know you're a big fan of it, so feel free to break into Elvish if you like, if, you, if you're more comfortable that way talking about it. I'm an L. Did we? Are we going to bleep that? That <laughs> no, was no, really, that's totally that was in really inappropriate. We're talking about Harry that Potter, was... and you could start, start speaking. So, Liz, I, I would like to say just one, one quick. Other plug for great adaptations, though, because uh, this happens to be a a book which I have just recently reread and then watched the movie immediately thereafter, uh, which is Clear and Present Danger, mm. which is based on a Tom yeah. Clancy novel, mm-hmm. actually a very good Tom Clancy mm-hmm. novel. And to my mind, this this is like a master class of how to do a good adaptation. So think about, I assume relatively few people have read the book compared to have seen mm-hmm. the movie. I have not. I have not read the book. I've read. The book. So think about the movie. The two most iconic scenes of the movie are the ambush of the FBI director's yeah, yeah. entourage and Jack Ryan right. in Bogota, and the uh, the fantastic creepy murder uh, where Joaquin de Almeida kills the FBI secretary, and there's that the machinist mm. Alon Moira. The machine is still oh, you mean in the in the log cabin, right in the log yeah, cabin, yeah. and neither of those scenes exist hmm. in the book. Oh. Uh, in the book, Moira does not die; she actually lives and becomes a witness against them. And uh, but it was important actually for the movie to kill her. It was it moved the plot along very well. Yeah. And the the big set piece uh, where they kill the FBI director, which you know, like if you don't cry when you're watching that, mm-hmm. when you see it on TNT on a Saturday afternoon or something, like there's something wrong with you. I think so he's like the deputy, actually. I'm yeah. not sure if he's a director, but I believe the de- director is, and he has a cameo in the beginning when they do this briefing. Uh, he's played by Dean Jones. This is one of the reasons why I always thought it was nice that oh, they that's did right. this. And yeah, yeah. Dean Jones, of yeah. course, was um, uh, uh, Jim Douglas from the Herbie movie. And so I hadn't, I hadn't seen him in maybe 30 years and suddenly he appears in Clear and Present yeah. Danger. That was very exciting for me. Sometimes when you have favorite actors or people you like as a kid you're like oh i'm so i'm so glad he's still around or she's still around i I, when i I remember after uh seeing that movie once uh, when i was living in dc and kind of like walking in between uh two like kind of tall buildings like looking up (laughs) at the at the at the at the tops of the buildings like this would be a terrible ambush spot I would be I would be gunned down in a minute. No, I mean I, it's really powerful. It's I, like I a really well done scene. Powerful, and I can't, and I'm, it is, I'm shocked that's not in the book. Yeah, so in the book this happens almost entirely off camera. It's it's you know it's given like a page and a half and it happens off to the side and you're just sort of told about it almost in the in the aftermath. So this is a total creation by the screenwriter, not total, but almost a total creation by the screenwriter. It shows how it's still very faithful to the book in the sense of it's, it's telling the same story of the book but they really knew what to do to sort of take use the bones of the book but then understand what works and how you need to move from one place to another more quickly uh, and so, you know, so that was Philip Noyce Philip Noyce directed right. both right. of those yeah. Clancy I have book to tell you movies. also I canceled my plans to go to Bogota after I saw that because yeah, I was just so terrified yeah. I don't want to be in that uh, road situation uh, but speaking of Tom Clancy uh, what about for example The Hunt for Red October 
Jonathan, you were talking about uh, uh, <laughs> the that's another, one, that's another Tom Clancy movie. Well, Patriot Games and then all the, what was the Sum of All Fears is the other one that were turned. Out. I think those are all the movies that were turned. Uh, well, books that were fears, turned. Some of All Fears is actually an interesting one talking about adaptations because some of it's All Fears garbage. Is, it is hot garbage. <laughs> it is. It is. It is not good. It's well, not great. What's although, wrong with it? Although, uh, what's good with it? Son? Well, I liked it. Uh, we have to circle back to, to oh, yes, Hunt for October. October. Don't let us not. Uh, finish yeah, hunt, defend. Finish, I dare you. With, I dare finish, you finish to defend some of all fears. Finish Hunt for Red October. All right, so Hunt for Red October, if you read it, um, I read it as a kid and then reread it a couple of years ago, and it is, for certain type of guy, just straight pornography. There is, like, the, the scene where the reactor fails in the Russian Akula submarine, um, th- it's like 20 pages. Of like wow. description of like how the react now the one ball bearing moves and then how the chain reactor starts in the in the reactor mm-hmm. core and it's just like you read it and if you're the type of boy who's into the, like military hardware and science and stuff you read that and you're like oh 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 yeah that was lovely thank you we might have to bleep that go ahead and so no but what's what's genius about the the movie though is the movie really jettisons all of that I mean all of the military porn from the from the book is gone in the service of a really, really interesting emotional story about Captain Ramius, the Sean Connery character. Uh, and and this is another one of those movies that if you just look at the film credits, you shouldn't be surprised it was great because it's John McTiernan. And this is John McTiernan at the height of his McTiernan-ness when this guy was just an amazing filmmaker. What were your other favorites from that time, John McTiernan? Die Hard, yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, Die Hard is, again, a total and classic and the best Christmas movie ever, ah. as I like to say. Ah. <laughs> yeah. No, but so, but think about it. Just is, think and I'll tell you what want. else I liked, uh, the Thomas Crown Affair remake. Tom, that's also yeah, great. Slick. Yeah. So th- think about that. So the, the moment in Hunt for October where you know you're getting a great movie is where you're on the Russian sub, the October in the beginning, and they make the transition from Russian to English in the dialogue. And the way that is handled is done so artfully and so carefully. You just think to yourself, this is going to be awesome, and buckle in. You actually do forget at some point that some of the characters on the sub are speaking English and other characters are speaking Russian. You know, because there's some, and then they go back and forth. For example, they think that the Russian uh, submarine is going to take on the Americans at the end, and all the the uh, the, Soviet, the crewmen, the, right? The, the officers speaking the officer, English, the and then they're cheering. The, the crew is, is cheering and everything because he's going to take them on into the big explosion. And that was in Russian, and yet, but it's not a distraction. Sometimes these things are, or sometimes when they struggle to, what sort of accent should we have for this movie? Yeah. Uh, but I thought it worked. Yeah, fine. And the choirs, the background, the choirs singing, uh, all in danger on the sea, and all that. It's, and oh. plus you. Have uh, two other great actors in that movie. Well, there are many. But Sam Neill. Sam Neill and Tim Curry. Sam Tim Curry is the Tim doctor. Curry. And Sam Neill. That's right. So uh, go ahead, go defend ahead, Ben Affleck. No, piece no, of garbage. I'm, I'm not going to defend some of all fears. I was going to. Uh, the one thing I will defend of some of, about some of all fears is Lee F. Schreiber is great in it. It's like one of the. It's one of the true like great Lee F. Schreiber being a kind of remorseless killing machine yeah. with a smile yeah. all the time. You don't they like never, Lee F. Schreiber. You know what? He's just a thing that never happened I just, for me. I just. I uh, want you to know that you're terrible. That's garbage, garbage, garbage. Uh, but but I was going to say, as an adaptation, it's very interesting because it ran into like a real uh, kind of political firestorm. Remember, this came out right after this came out a year after 9/11, and they the the original villains of the film were uh, careful is, Islamic careful. radicals. Extremists, extremists, uh, who who set off a, a, a small nuke, and they changed that to like uh, I don't know, like they're white, white nationalists, South white, Africans, yeah, I like believe. white white nationalists or white South Africans. Fasc- are, were they South Africans? I thought, I thought they were like they were fascists Africans. in Russia or something. Are you thinking of Lethal Weapon Two? 
Lethal Weapon 2 were, were South Africans. Africans. It was Krugerrands. Krugerrands. And it was during the height of apartheid. So yeah. that anyway, it was not but, based on a novel as but far no, as I but know. But I mean, see, that's, that's an example of a change that kind of makes no sense and is done for purely political nonsense reasons. Uh, yeah, which there's is no bad, narrative. There's no narrative is, reason right, to make right. that change. Which is, which is, you know, that's an example of a... But there are sometimes changes don't really matter. If we can bring it back to Jack Reacher, you know, one of the things that fans of the book series often have a real problem with is the fact that Tom Cruise plays Jack Reacher. Now, I love Tom Cruise. I'm a total Tom Cruise apologist. I don't care what sort of creepy cult he's into. He's he's just dynamite on screen. He's he's a pure movie star. Greatest movie star of our time. I think that's I think that's totally true. Totally. I mean, from from like 1980 to about 2009 or 10. Or he's so. also a consummate professional. He yeah. takes these things seriously. Right, right. I'm but, not done. Yeah, I noticed that. Uh, but, you're looking but at the, uh, like no, don't talk that. Uh, but Go the, ahead. but but what's interesting is he's he's also a very small person. He's he's like five Careful. six. He's five six Careful. or five seven. I'm and five seven. Is, I'm not short. You think I'm short? You're a small person. Oh great. Um, in more ways than one. And the and and you know, in the character in the book is uh, described as like it's a six tall. five, six right. ten, right. monster man mountain type monster who just goes around wrecking stuff and beating people up. And and it changes the way, especially in the Chris McCory. Uh, version of Jack Reacher it kind of changes the way the fights play out, which are more clever, more tactical, more kind of uh, like the scene in the bathroom, for instance. The the fight the, scene, the in raising the Arizona, the raising yeah, the Arizona, Arizona Redux, right. which, is which is so it's, great it's, it's, it's and just, funny. It's Again, it's really and funny. funny. It's very different than how it might play in the books, where he's just kind of punching and smashing through things. Uh, that is an example of a change that I like, but a lot of people can't get around. You know, do you think that's weird? You know, I, I I know people, I work with people who have complained to me vociferously about this, Mark Hemingway. And uh, I have to say, I don't, again, for me, the essence of the Reacher character isn't the size. The size is just the window dressing of this. The essence is the cleverness and the, the total confidence and the funniness. And that, Cruz brings all of that. So I don't, I don't actually right. care watching the movie. I don't think it affects the property at all. It's just different. Well, as I always like to say, size does not matter, you know. So, uh, but more to as I said, small person. More about Tom Cruise uh, again, and no matter what the role is, and he really, you know, he really brings his A game. We talk, I was thinking about uh, Collateral, another, you know, the great Michael Mann movie, and he trained with Blackwater. And you watch him in that alley scene where he takes on the two or the three guys who who rob uh, Jamie Foxx as the cab driver. You actually have to slow it down in order to appreciate, you know, uh, the work that he put in, in in taking those guys down. It happens in the blink of an eye, yeah. and it really is sort of and that that shouldn't go underappreciated. And of course, uh, Tom Cruise in the other uh, great uh, Chris McQuarrie film, uh, Valkyrie. I know you're all fans of it. And uh, and he took that very seriously. Uh, just a little, uh, not to name drop, but I used to be friends with the German defense minister. And uh, uh, before he got taken... I'm, I'm not sure where this is going. We're <laughs> talking got, about Nazis yes, in World but he got War taken II. Down by, uh, before he got taken down by a, a plagiarism scandal. In any event, uh, Carl Theo Gutenberg's family, um, uh, back in the day, they were also involved in the conspiracy to take down Hitler. Uh, and so while they were filming this, uh, Tom Cruise and Katie Holmes... Uh, visited him and his wife in Germany, and they had a little night at their house. Uh, and this is told to me from a mutual friend. And uh, they said that Tom Cruise was very serious. He had all the ser- he just wanted to get into the head of Klaus von Stauffenberg, understand what it meant to be his family's the sort of royalist aspect of the German, the Prussian German army. You know that dates back centuries, and uh, and how to in order to fully embody him. And in fact, you do you know when you think oh you know Tom Cruise is going to be in this movie about the plot to kill Hitler, it's going to be distracting because it's Tom Cruise. You actually kind of you know. Fr- 
forget about that. And you just enjoy the movie for what it is. Uh, and I said, how was Katie Holmes? And uh, I, my friend said, she didn't ask many questions. But anyway, go ahead. You know, this is, this is a great Jonathan, point. He, uh, he always respects both his audience and the material. And one of the things, so he's, I mean, let's be honest, he's not the greatest actor in the world. He's actually a very good and very competent actor, I think. Yeah. But he has ambitions, he has actual ambitions, but he also understands his own limitations. Mm -hmm. And so what he does is he, this is like always a sign of a great star who's a generous actor. He surrounds himself with great talent. And so you look at the rest of the cast for Valkyrie. Uh, you look at the cast for all of his movies. Bill Nye. Trump, Bill Nye, I mean, Trump, he surrounds Trump, himself. He's totally right. confident enough that he can hold the screen with great actors and brings them on to make the projects he's in better. Yeah. And he appears in a range of movies. This is a guy who doesn't only do $200 million tentpole mm -hmm. movies. He does big movies, medium-sized movies, and small movies. Yeah. Well, there was a, there was a great book uh, that that came out a, a couple of years back that I actually reviewed for the Weekly Standard, uh, written by Amy Nicholson. It, it's just kind of a big book about Tom Cruise. It's a big coffee table book uh, that has a bunch of essays about the work he does. And you know what you what you what you find when you actually look at his filmography, he's got you know Bored on the Fourth of July, which is a very kind of weird arty movie for a guy who was literally the biggest movie star in the world at the time, uh, fresh off Top Gun to 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 make. Uh, you know, and in, in, in even in like kind of the other big movies he's been in, like, uh, for instance, Interview with the Vampire is another movie where he's playing not quite against type, but almost a hyper version of that type of the kind of flamboyant, uh, super intense, um, uh, uh, well, the dead eyed psycho um, that that, you know, you, you really do have to kind of appreciate what he brings to a certain type of role. You're right. He's not uh, a Daniel Day-Lewis. He's not going to go out there and embody, you know, historical figures to uh, to a 0.1% degree of accuracy. But he's he's very, very good and very underrated as an actor, I think. I wanted to quickly, since we're talking about film adaptations, uh, uh, bring up the other uh, one last one, which was The Godfather, uh, which is a terrific novel. Uh, that was a book. That was that was a book. Uh, not Godfather Three, the first Godfather. Uh, George Hamilton wasn't in the book. Godfather uh, Three, also uh, underrated. Yeah, we'll talk about that next. What? Time. So I'm and, sorry, say that louder. Well, I didn't another, hear that. That's, that's an entirely other episode. But I just like to say, uh, the book was the book was great, but the movie is amazing. And again, the decision to keep certain things and to take certain things out. I, I mean, it, it it just takes a lot of skill. Um, and there are things in the book that were completely unnecessary. There's a whole aside in the novel about a plastic surgeon who takes you know, one of the girls and takes care of her. And it gets, and Mario Puzo, for whatever reason, thinks it's worth going into detail about the reconstructive surgery of her genitalia. I mean, this is really something that you don't want to read about. You don't want to see it. And um, nobody knows why Puzo did it. Nobody knows why Puzo wrote the script for Superman. But, you know, these things happen. Uh, I just left you speechless. Sorry. I assumed that was the whole reason you had a very thumb-eared, dog-eared copy of the paperback <laughs> of The Godfather in your office. The kind when you drop that, it on the floor, right, it automatically just, opens to that page. Just pages, you know, flying it's out of it everywhere. the tropic of cancer. This makes uh, me very uh, uncomfortable. I, I, I did have a Okay, so my other uh, last question is about uh, the Jack Reacher 2 uh, situation, because I think it was even beaten out by uh, Medea or the new Luigi Tyler Perry movie. Or the new Tyler yeah, yeah. Perry movie. Media, so, uh, Medea does Halloween or whatever. So the bad yeah. reviews have gotten around. Yours has gotten around. Does this mean that's the end of uh, the Jack Reacher novels turned into movies? Well, I mean, the movie was made pretty cheaply. It's a 40 or $50 million movie, um, or at least the first one was. I think this is probably not much more expensive. So, you know, there's a decent chance it'll recoup 
overseas where Tom Cruise still has a pretty good draw. And you know, I mean, this the first movie opened to fifteen million and did eighty million total. It did really good home video. Maybe maybe that's enough to to get us a third uh, installment. But you know, if he's going to make another one, he needs to have Chris McQuarrie do it. And Chris McQuarrie is basically his muse at this point. Yes, Chris McQuarrie is working on the new uh, the new uh, Mission Impossible movie right now. They're filming it, I believe. Yes, or the yeah. MI six. Yeah, so and they're going to do, I believe, at some point they want to do a sequel to Edge of Tomorrow, which is another yes. highly yes. underrated movie that everybody should right. see. Chris Chris McQuarrie wrote uh, Edge of Tomorrow, now rebranded, which as, is also an adaptation. Right, right. Which is yeah. which is an adaptation, and it's it's. I would say it's actually better than the the source material. I read both. I read the I read the book after seeing the movie. I was like, well, this is not very. This is very. I funny. think it got unfairly compared to Groundhog's Day, which I love both movies, but they're completely apples and oranges. Yeah, well, I, it's Star Wars Troopers meets Groundhog. Dog Day. I bet that's how the pitch meeting it's was. A, it's it's a video, Star Wars Troopers well, it, meets It's Groundhog a video Day. game. I mean, it, 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 the movie plays like a video game that you're watching somebody else play, which is like kind of amusing for about the first, which I love the first two acts. I think the third act kind of falls apart. I'm not, I'm not totally like sold act. on the, I like the, the third act like, a lot. love conquers all. Of course you're not, because you're a dark-hearted garbage person. I'm dead inside. <laughs> okay, on that note, I see our glasses are... Just about empty, which means that is all the time we have for this week's episode. Speaking of which, today's episode was literally made possible by Patty's Irish Whiskey. From the moment you wake to your Irish wake, make it Patty's today. Is that actually their tagline? No, I created that myself, and I ought to get paid for that. Uh, I'm afraid that's all the time we have, so I'd like to thank everyone for listening. And no, we do not have the power to give you back the time you just wasted listening to this podcast. But if you have comments or questions please send us your emails at substandard at weeklystandard.com. Until next time, courage. That was a Dan Rather joke. I like that. Should we end with courage or should you end with please don't fire us, Bill? I also thought about adding it this way, ready? And please drink responsibly. Too much patties and you're liable to get Irish Alzheimer's. What's Irish Alzheimer's? That's when you forget everything, Sonny, except the grudges. Should we do some outtakes? These were the outtakes, by the way. I think the actual show ended more, 15 minutes ago. Do we do more no, outtakes? No, we, we started like <laughs> do a couple five outtakes. minutes in. 14, it's 30, I saw 14, we're, we're like 15, so that's we're pretty in, good. Yeah. I think we're good. Let's do some outtakes. Little All stingers, right. put on the end. Um, I think I went through everything. We, we got through a lot good. of it. It was pretty I good. I it was good, and I think we just... Right? It didn't do it for you. It didn't do I'm it. I'm sure it's fine. That should be. That, that should actually be way. in the tagline. Yes, because that I'm should sure, be. The, I'm, I'm sure it's fine. fine. The sub, the weekly substandard. I'm sure it's I'm fine. Sure it's fine. I like that. That's <laughs> actually that's pretty good. I think you probably trademarked yeah. meh for your other stuff. I'm you? sure it's fine. Yeah. No outtakes. Yeah. All right, no outtakes. I, got I thought we were going to have I got funny. Nothing for you next time. I have something funny. You know who else is a little person? Who else? No, I'm just. This would be a funny. Oh, I don't. I don't. I thought you. I thought this was a call and response. Yeah. Is it Vic? Grumble, grumble. Is it Vic? No. Is it Vic the little person? No. He really, I was he thinking really of nine. something no. else. I'm to be fair, you are like not NBA five, five nine. Says, I'm five seven. My You're the same five height, so you're clearly wrong. She's oh clearly wrong on goodness. Her. I gotta wear like Tom oh Cruise. I'm gonna be wearing goodness. Goods. I'm unplugging this. Okay. <laughs>